Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.10 a.m. Central, no, not Central, Pacific Standard Time. It's the 7th of December, 2022. This is episode 651 of Bitcoin and $80 trillion. That's trillion with a T. The hell's he going on about, you ask? Here's the answer. FX swap debt is an $80 trillion blind spot, according to the Bank of International Settlements. This is out of Reuters to kick us off on this Wednesday. London, pension funds, and other non-bank financial firms have more than $80 trillion of hidden off-balance sheet dollar debt in foreign exchange swaps, the Bank of International Settlement said. The BIS, dubbed the Central Bank of the World Central Banks, also said in its latest quarterly report that 2022's market upheaval had largely been navigated without major issues. Having repeatedly urged central banks to act forcefully to dampen inflation, it struck a more measured tone and picked over crypto market troubles in September's UK bond market turmoil. Its main warning concerned that, or what it described as the FX swap debt blind spot that risked leaving policymakers in a fog. FX swap markets, where, for example, a Dutch pension fund or a Japanese insurer borrows dollars and lends euro or yen before later repaying them, have a history of problems. They saw funding squeezes during both the global financial crisis and again in March 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic wrought havoc that required central banks, such as the United States Federal Reserve, to intervene with dollar swap lines. The $80 trillion plus hidden debt estimate exceeds the stocks of dollar treasury bills, repo and commercial paper combined, the BIS said. It has grown from just over $55 trillion a decade ago, while the churn of FX swap deals was almost $5 trillion a day in April, two-thirds of daily global FX turnover. For both non-U.S. banks and non-U.S. non-banks, such as pension funds, dollar obligations from FX swaps are now double their on-balance sheet dollar debt, it estimated, the BIS estimated. The missing dollar debt from FX swaps and forwards and currency swaps is huge, the Switzerland-based institution said, adding the lack of direct information about the scale and location of the problems was the key issue. The report also addressed broader recent market developments. We won't get into that because they're talking about other things now. What I wanted to bring to your attention right now is $80 trillion in, you know, I'm just going to term it this way, ghost money. It's a specter, a poltergeist. It's just waiting to pop. And I don't think anybody really knows what that number means if it pops. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it pops or if it just bleeds out. I, I, know, I don't think anybody knows. 
Because again, humans have this real bad blind, if we're gonna talk about blind spots, let's talk about the biggest one. Our inability to understand exponents. You know, you start with $10. You add an exponent, you get 100. You add another one, you get 1,000. You add another one, you get 10,000, 100, a million, 100 million, a billion, 100 billion, a trillion, 100 trillion. After a while, you know, past, a, you know, honestly, kind of getting past a million is where humans really just can't wrap their head around what these exponents actually mean. And when we're sitting at $80 trillion in foreign exchange swaps, that they've borrowed dollars, and released euros and yen and multiply that by all the central banks around the world dealing in their own various currencies. Holy crap. Holy crap. But I, 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 we're going to move on and get into Bitcoin stuff. But dude, keep that shit in mind. Even the BIS is freaking out at this point. Nigeria, however, is another story. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, Nigeria pushes CBDC usage with new ATM cash withdrawal limits. Ah, oh, isn't that nice of them? They're just going to limit your ability to get cash with, at an ATM. You know, nothing to see here, y'all. Nothing to see here at all. The Nigerian government has placed new restrictions and limits on the amount of cash citizens are able to withdraw from ATMs. The decision is seemingly an attempt to further push the country's new CBDC, the e-Naira. The directive orders that citizens and businesses cannot withdraw amounts exceeding $45 or 20,000 Nairas per day and $225 per week. That's 100,000 Nairas per week from ATMs. Withdrawals from banks of over $225 US and $1,125 US will be subject to processing fees of 5% for individuals and 10% for businesses. Dude, dude. The order also details that cash back via point of sale terminals cannot exceed $45 per day either. According to Cointelegraph, Haruna Mustafa, the director of banking supervision, stated that, quote, customers should be encouraged to use alternative channels, you know, internet banking, mobile banking apps, USSD cards, POS, eNaira, etc., to conduct their banking transactions. Well, that's nice. Nigeria was one of the first governments to launch a CBDC, unveiling the eNaira in October of 2021. However, traction has been low because nobody wants your bullshit. Only 0.5, that's 0.5% of Nigerian citizens are estimated to be using the digital Naira per a Bloomberg report. Now it seeks to increase the usage of it through regulations like this. You know what's going to pause here. I predict this is what will happen. Prices of goods in Nigeria will crash to represent and come into, you know, equilibrium with the amount of hard cash Nigerian citizens can actually have access to. That's the free markets, will be the free market yelling. That's what I predict. I predict that if you're paying, like, let's say you're paying a dollar, I don't know what the prices of anything in Nigeria is, but let's just say it's a buck for a loaf of bread. And you can, and you could get a hundred dollars out per day. Okay, that makes sense. Now you decrease that amount by half. You can now only get fifty dollars a day. 
that price of that bread probably going to hit 50 cents because people are going to value cash. The citizenry of the world is starting to wake up, ladies and gentlemen. And generally speaking, humans are not stupid. We do have this bad habit of allowing ourselves to become domesticated. And we have an extraordinarily bad habit of being apathetic about shit. But once you turn up the heat, unlike a frog in water, and by the way, that frog in boiling water, that's, that's fake. That doesn't actually happen. The frog will finally get out. Just like humans. You turn up the heat enough, the humans will jump out of the pot. And I think the way they're going to jump out of the pot is that crises of goods and services in Nigeria are going to crash to come into equilibrium with the amount of cash that citizenry can withdraw. We'll have to see. Continuing on, Bitcoiners have been outspoken opponents of CBDCs describing various weaknesses that point to Bitcoin being the superior alternative. CBDCs, Bitcoiners argue, can lead to outsized surveillance of the population, total control of people's money, and a complete lack of sovereignty when it comes to the debasement of value of a currency. Beyond that, Bitcoiners have argued that not only are CBDCs inherently bad, but their success is entirely improbable as the infrastructure necessary to implement them as envisioned simply doesn't exist and is not going to be made by incapable governments. Some have even pointed to stablecoins as potential vehicles for carrying the attributes of CBDCs while theorizing that CBDCs simply distract from the incentive perversions created by stablecoins. Developments like these ATM limits point to the desperation of governments as they seek to hold their citizens within the boundaries of government monetary systems. Despite this desire, Bitcoin companies like Strike are continuing to build out infrastructure that will allow people to access a sovereign alternative to CBDCs. This tenacity is what has led to Nigeria being the largest market by volume for Bitcoin in all of Africa. So again, we're going to have to see. Now let's go back and just re-examine what my prediction is. If you, if you have the amount of cash that people can have access to on a daily basis, then I believe that market prices of goods and services in the localities will decrease to come into equilibrium with the amount of cash represented by the citizens on a, on, at any given time. But what would that do if you expand that out to trade on the international scale? What we could be seeing is that CBDCs have an uncovered inherent flaw. And that flaw is forcing prices to decrease relative to actual cash instruments that people can have sovereignty over. And if I'm right, that screws every country, whether right now or on into the future, who are thinking about implementing any kind of CBDC. We'll have to see. Uh, free market activity has a tendency to scream very loud, loudly when its foot gets stepped on. But uh, let's get back into free market stuff with this one. Ledger announces new Ledger Stacks wallet, Bitcoin Magazine, and BTCKC is writing this one as well. Caveat, I'm not a fan of the Ledger hardware wallet. However, this story grabbed my attention. Why? 
Let's find out. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency hardware wallet manufacturer Ledger has announced a new wallet designed by a former Apple engineer. His name is Tony Fidel, and it's named Ledger Stacks. The wallet utilizes e-ink technology on a small rectangular wraparound screen similar in appearance to a smartphone. The device will function as other ledgers do, allowing users to store Bitcoin and various other cryptocurrencies in cold storage offline. The front of the device will feature a customizable display that can feature photos or, God forbid, NFTs per the device's product page. Ledger Stacks has a price tag of $279. It will be available in Best Buy stores. Check that shit. It will be available in Best Buy stores as the electronics giant currently does stock the Ledger Nano S Plus and Nano X devices. The Stacks has been designed to introduce a more premium product going beyond the simple Ledger Nano S, which is small and has features similar to a USB drive. It also comes at an opportune time for the company as many reconsider their desire for self-custody or to self-custody their cryptocurrency after the massive collapse of the FTX exchange and subsequent loss of billions of exchange custody fund user funds. Indeed, in response to questions from Fortune Crypto, a company spokesperson confirmed that in November, Ledger had its two best ever sales days. <clears throat> in addition, Fidel described his reasoning for his design to Fortune Crypto saying, we need a user-friendly, no, a user-delightful tool to bring digital asset security to the rest of us, not just the geeks. While there is debate amongst the greater Bitcoin maximalism community in regards to utilizing and promoting wallets that offer compatibility for altcoins, having more users practice self-custody as opposed to trusting in custodians could be considered a net educational benefit for the ecosystem and theoretically an appealing, well-designed device could introduce more people to that concept. Yes, I know, I'm reading you an advertisement for, lead, for the Ledger Stacks, but it's important, why? Because of the Apple engineer that's involved in this. Again, let's go back up to the top because this is important. Apple engineer or former Apple engineer, Tony Fidel, he was one of the guys behind the iPod design. He was also one of the guys behind the iPhone design. Think about Apple design. Think about how intuitive Apple design is. I, I'm not even, I'm not a Mac user and I would probably never use one because I just, I just don't like it, but I use an iPhone. It's intuitive. When I had iPods, I didn't have to read instructions. It was intuitive. I could just look at it and I was like, I kind of get how this shit works. That's why this is important. Because now you have a user experience design guru who's working with hardware wallet, or at least one hardware wallet company to make shit easier. And if he brings what he brought, if he brings to Ledger and other hardware wallet companies, what he brought to Apple, that's, that's a game changer because of the user interface and how it affects the user experience. These are important design qualities for anything, whether you're designing an app, a website, a service. If, even if I got a roadside lemonade stand, user experience is part of that. When you're selling a house or buying a house, there is a user experience behind working with realtors and prospective buyers and sellers. And we, 
if you disregard that at your peril, that's why this is important. I'm not reading it to you because it's a clearly kind of an ad out of Bitcoin Magazine, which is a little sad. But it's important to note that more and more people are coming into the space using, or they're bringing, they're carting in real world experience. And now we're getting really hardcore UX designers. And that's good news, honestly. Now, Japan is recommending against algorithmic backing of stable coins. Uh, Cointelegraph.com, David Atley is writing it. After passing its landmark legislation on stablecoins in June, Japanese regulators are considering contemplating it uh, by restricting the algorithmic backing of stablecoins. The intention comes as a recommendation from the Financial Services Agency and was repeated by the country's Vice Minister for International Affairs, Toboko Amaya. During his speech on crypto assets at a roundtable hosted by the Official Monetary and Financial Institutions Forum, Amaya laid out Japan's regulatory framework emphasizing the factors of financial stability, user protection, and of course anti-money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism. The speech was originally held in November, but the FSA published the full document today on December the 7th. The 29 paged presentation systemizes the Japanese approach to crypto regulation formed by several major legislations, the Banking Act, the Payment Services Act, and the Financial Instruments and Exchange Act. One familiar with the Japanese regulatory environment couldn't find anything new at this point, although the accent on differentiating between the crypto assets and digital money type stablecoins gives a distinct perspective on the local regulator's approach to the latter. A Maya speech doesn't also, rather, Amaya's speech also doesn't specify any particular dates or headlines for future legislation. However, at the end of the document in the, quote, way forward section, the vice minister cites the FSA recommendations reportedly made in October as the quote goes, quote, the proposed review states that global stablecoins must not use algorithms in stabilizing their value and strengthen the the ensuing, uh, or sorry, strengthens the ensuring of redemption rights, end quote. This recommendation would probably be taken into consideration by lawmakers in the future as the current stablecoins regulation, which was passed by parliament in June and will become law in June 2023, does not cover algorithmic stablecoins. The bill itself came in the aftermath of a massive decline in cryptocurrency markets fueled by the Terra token collapse, with the algorithmic stablecoin UST losing its one-to-one value to the US dollar in early May. All right, so what does this mean? This means there's probably something to algorithmic uh, backing of stablecoins. I'm not a stablecoin user. Okay, and I don't think that I'm ever going to need it. I haven't needed it so far. I just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. That's what I do. I bought some last night. I'm just saying. However, when my enemy, and that's any financial regulatory body in the modern world, when my enemy looks at something and says, ooh, uh, we got to legislate against that then there's probably something that represents a clear and present danger to my enemy. Therefore, maybe there's something to algorithmic backing of stablecoins, but unless it's done by pure math, because it wasn't done, UST wasn't done by pure math. Why? Because they just kept fucking printing them. 
That was one of the, one of the reasons why the whole thing blew up is they couldn't keep their little hands out of the cookie jar, right? But left alone in a truly decentralized manner, maybe, maybe algor algorithmic backing of stable coins might make sense. And the only reason I would look that direction is because my enemy is looking in that direction. And I will always look in the direction my enemy looks because maybe there's something that will kill him and not me or possibly kill us both. But if I'm not looking in that direction, then I don't see algorithmic stable coins as something that may actually have some kind of merit Then I'm doing myself and you a disservice. Not saying I am not saying go out and buy the first algorithmic stable coin you see. Do not do that. Stay fucking away from it. But don't be blind by it. Okay? Look at it. it you know, I don't know. Maybe you admire it. I don't know. But look at it, size it up, sum it up, and see what it actually is. Because if the Bank of Japan is kind of scared of it, uh, chances are real good other regulatory bodies are too. Maybe like the Bank of Russia who wants to ban miners from selling crypto to Russians. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph, the Russian central bank continues to maintain an extremely negative stance on cryptocurrencies, proposing to ban local miners from selling coins to local people. The Bank of Russia has supported the idea of legalizing cryptocurrency mining in Russia as part of a draft bill introduced in mid-November of 2022. However, the Russian central bank wants to allow miners to sell their crypto only on foreign exchanges and not to, oh, and to non-residents of Russia, the local news agency Interfax reported on December the 7th. Quote, we believe that cryptocurrency obtained as a result of mining can be sold exclusively using foreign infrastructure and only to non-residents, the Bank of Russia's press office reportedly said, adding, quote, in general, we adhere to the position on the inadmissibility of the circulation of digital currency on the territory of the Russian Federation, end quote. The new proposal would apparently trigger a lot of questions from miners in Russia as many foreign crypto exchanges have banned Russians from using their platforms in compliance with the sanctions over Russia's war in Ukraine. The Bank of Russia has been a long proponent of allowing residents to trade only via foreign trading platforms as well. According to the Bank of Russia's proposal, miners that want to sell their self-mined crypto within Russia must carry out operations through an authorized organization. The news comes shortly after the Russian Ministry of Finance opposed the Bank of Russia's proposal to introduce strict licensing of crypto mining operations in Russia. On December the 6th, Deputy Finance Minister Alexei Moisev reportedly said that the Russian Central Bank has developed a new plan to only allow mining through authorized organizations. Well, of course. <laughs> According to the official, such a measure would essentially bring total licensing of crypto mining. We are against it, Mysev reportedly stated. As previously reported, Russian lawmakers introduced a draft bill on cryptocurrency mining into the lower house of parliament on November the 17th. The original version of the bill doesn't include a ban on sales of mined cryptocurrency to residents of Russia, but at the same time, the bill doesn't allow miners to sell their coins anywhere other than on foreign exchanges or through the state-backed platform that is being developed within the experimental legal regime of crypto. So there you go. Russians are, you know, kind of reminds me of the whole how India keeps flipping and flopping back and forth is that they're going to allow it and they're going to ban it. They're going to make it illegal. They're going to allow it. They're going to ban it. They're going to make it illegal. 
And it just goes on and on and on. Russia is following the exact same brick pathway that India has been doing for God since what? 2016. Since 2016, India has been going back and forth on this shit. So, you know, Russia's no better. Uh, what do we got next up? Oh, you know what? Uh, hold on for a sec. I got something. I got something special for you. Hold up. Okay. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. I got an Ars Technica uh, article here and it has nothing to do with Bitcoin whatsoever. Let's take a break. <laughs> Let's do this one. This is, it'll be fun. Promise. Kevin Purdy, Ars Technica. Dwarf Fortress's graphical upgrade provides a new way into a wildly wonky game. Now, I'm not going to read the article, okay? I'm not going to do that to you. But if you're a fan of any kind of video games, especially like roguelike games, and you haven't heard of Dwarf Fortress, you should at least go read a couple of articles about this behemoth. This thing has been in production and and also be, has been upgraded like over the last 20 years. And almost there's a lot of people that don't know about it because its graphics were all ASCII based. That's right. Your graphical interface playing a game where dwarves, you know, are mining and getting into mountains and building rooms and making furniture and fighting, you know, goblins and shit like that. It was all ASCII characters. Like the A with a hop knot on top of it was a goblin or something like that. And you could actually see the A walking around. That's that's how you interacted with this game that had has a huge and deep, a very deep play field. And I, I'm not talking about the visual play field. I'm talking about its rule sets, the way that the rule sets interact with each other, the way you interact with the game. All of that is, is so deep that that's why since 2002, and Dwarf Fortress was, was born in, in 2002, right? 20 years later, they finally have updated it to where there's a graphic user interface, a real one you know, with art and, you know, pixel art and animations and shit. It's like 20 years. Think of it. This thing, this thing, its version number is 50.1. These guys have been offering this game for free for 20 years. I happily paid them yesterday 30 bucks to get this thing. Just because it was the first time you know, that you didn't have to, I mean, if they had just been using Bitcoin this entire time, which they still aren't, the, the two brothers that are developing this, I would have gladly given them like 20 bucks for this thing because it's, it's really engrossing, right? And it's just now that they finally let it go to Steam, you know, and Steam picked it up and there is like news articles about this shit everywhere. People on Steam are freaking out because they're like, We've never heard of this game before. And all of a sudden, these glowing reviews are coming out by the hundreds, if not the thousands. And like this thing is selling like fucking hotcakes and nobody can understand. They're like, I think this is a scam. Something's going on. It's like a pump and dump, right? It's like, you know, like a, a shit coin pump and dump because nobody knows what Dwarf Fortress is, except the people that knew what Dwarf Fortress was for the last 20 years. And I only found it about seven years ago, right? And I don't, I hadn't played it. I haven't played it in years 
until last night when I heard that I was like, holy shit, they've, they've, they've done it. They've given it an interface. So just so you know, one of the things that I find fascinating about this particular game is its story and world generation capability. What do I mean by that? All right. When, when you, you don't just get into this game and, and play some kind of level. No. Every time that you get into this game, not every time, you can play the same world over and over and over again, but when you want to actually start the game from scratch, from fresh, you've got to build a world. And there's several par parameters you can choose, a big one, a small one, a medium one, um, lots of monsters, little monsters, lots of gold, no gold, you know, rivers, trees. You can kind of set all these variables or you can just hit generate, right? And just go with the defaults. And let's just say that that's what you did. So it generates mountains and elevations and places, rivers and trees and, and like, you know, resources. And you kind of expect that. But what you don't expect is a full history that goes back all the way to 250 years of NPCs being born into the game. The computer, as it's generating the world, goes through all these scenarios with, the, with this thing in the background and constructs a history. And sometimes these histories can be, these histories can be five years in the past, all the way up to 250 years in the past. And I think if you wanted to, you could generate something longer than that by dicking with the parameters. My point is, is that you can read all of these histories of thousands and thousands and thousands of characters that have been generated, have done cool shit and died. It's a lore. It's it's like legends. And there's a mode where you can go read all this shit. But clearly you don't want to go read it. But that legend still remains in the background as you're playing. So at like let's give an example. Let's say you're playing along and all of a sudden some goblin just comes in and, and starts messing with everything and you're pissed off. You click on that goblin and you notice a few things about it. One of the first things is, is that he's got a history. And that history was generated when you generated the world. And if you generate another world, a completely different history for completely different creatures and, you know, other kinds of stuff, whole towns and, and groups of people are, are, I mean, this database ends up being massive. And somehow or another, it doesn't take up that much disk space. However it is that they did this procedural storytelling type thing has always baffled me but that was the basis of the game. Everything else came after this guy named Taren Adams, I think. Dream, he woke up apparently and, and from a dream or something like that and figured out a way to code procedural storytelling and history building and he coded it and it works. And then he built Dwarf Fortress around it. And one of the main benefactors of Dwarf Fortress is Minecraft. If you didn't know where Minecraft came from, Minecraft came out of a guy who was playing Dwarf Fortress and said, I want to build a version of this that's in full 3D with graphics. And that's what he did. And then he sold it to Microsoft for God only knows how many millions of dollars. And that's where Minecraft that you see today came from. It was born out of Dwarf Fortress. If you have any interest in that shit whatsoever, do yourself a favor and go ahead and pick up Dwarf Fortress. If you hate it, then give me a boostagram about it and we can talk about it on another show. 
Uh, right now, it's time to run the numbers. CNBC, Futures and Commodities, West Texas Intermediate, further down today, 1.87% to $72.86. Brent North Sea, likewise down 1.6% to $78.07. However, natural gas is getting a little clearance here, $3, or no, I'm sorry, 3.75% to the upside to $5.67 per thousand. Gasoline, however, has fallen two and a half points to $2.09 a gallon on average. All the metal rocks are up in value today. Gold up a full point, $1,799. Silver is up 2.73%. Platinum is up 1.87%. Copper up 1.35%. And palladium is up a third of a point. Uh, Let's see here. Dow. Oh, no. Let's do ag. Uh, Ag is fully mixed. And there's some pretty big movers here. Uh, Wheat is the biggest winner with three and a quarter percent to the upside. Cotton is the biggest loser with almost a full four points to the downside. Now Dow up 0.17%. S&P is almost unchanged. NASDAQ down a quarter of a point. S&P mini is up 0.13%. Now real money's price is $16,808.00. We are waiting on 3,665 blocks or blocks. Transactions are waiting on two blocks to clear. We have a $323.2 billion market cap, which is still 2.62% of gold's entire market cap. However, you can now only buy 9.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,226,867.17 of and 5,070.89 of those remain in the Lightning Network valued this time at $85.3 million, being run over 15,991 nodes, sporting 76,318 payment channels and 68.8% of all that is being run over Tor, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Report outlines reasons why stakeholders are against CBDCs. Cointelegraph, Ezra Reguera has this one. I guess we're going to talk about how banks uh, at the retail side don't like this shit either. While some countries like Nigeria are aggressively pushing the use of central bank digital currencies, a new report summarized why a number of private stakeholders are against the idea of CBDCs. The report, dubbed, quote, The State of CBDCs in 2022, published by blockchain insights firm BlockData, dove into the most significant CBDC developments within the past year. It also pinpointed some of the key reasons why some private companies are against them. Citing stablecoin user circle stance on CBDCs, the report highlighted that digital currency issuance may be better if left to the private sector and were left to innovative with regular to the innovative with regulatory approvals. Furthermore, the American Banking Association Their stance on CBDCs was also cited in the report, and according to the ABA, a CBDC issued by the United States Federal Reserve lacks compelling use cases and would rewire the banking system. 
In addition, the ABA highlighted that there will be a significant fundamental change in the responsibilities of the Fed if it does issue a CBDC and urged that the issuance of digital currencies be left with the private sector. Apart from these, the report also outlined other concerns by private stakeholders. According to the report, stakeholders are also concerned about anonymity and privacy, interoperability, scalability, technological structure, as well as balance between design and central bank policies. Meanwhile, the Indonesian government recently said that its central bank plans to make it's CBDC, the only legal tender in the country. Oh, yay! During a speech at the central bank's annual meeting, Bank of Indonesia Governor Perry Warajarjo highlighted new developments in its digital rupai project and said that it will be integrated with other countries' CBDCs. On December the 5th, Pakistan launched new laws to speed up the release of its CBDC. The State Bank of Pakistan signed laws for electronic money institutions with the help of the World Bank. The country aims to launch its own CBDC by 2025. Now, the important part here is the mention of the ABA. Okay, they talked about Circle. I don't give a shit what Circle says. But the American Banking Association, that's different. The American Banking Association is going to be like your club if you're, you know, I don't know, Happy State Bank or American State Bank or, you know, federal credit unions around the United States. That's your association. That's, that's where, that's, that, those are the conventions that you go to, right? Those are the people that represent the retail banking sector. And if the Federal Reserve gets to be stupid enough to do a CBDC, what that means is that there's no reason to have retail banking because the Federal Reserve will become the bank of the citizenry of the United States of America. We will have a deposit and possibly a checking account or something like it with the Federal Reserve rather than with Wells Fargo, Bank of America, American State Bank, Happy State Bank, all the rest of them because those are all retail guys. Now check it out. Most of the governors <laughs> of the Federal Reserve are either owners or have a high amount of exposure to retail banking. We don't like banks, right? Well, when the enemy of our enemy becomes our friend, this is why. This is why it is. This is exactly why that shit is uttered time and time again. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like if banks don't, if retail banking views the Federal Reserve's actions in purporting and standing up as CBDC and they hate that idea, then I like them even though that up to now they've been nothing but basically criminal, you know, bodies acting in bad faith all over the damn place and they ain't helping anything. In fact, they are hurting everything. But in this particular case, if they're on my side against the Federal Reserve, then so be it. So be it. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with it. I really am. I think you should be too. In fact, I think instead of talking to our senators, maybe we should be calling our banks presidents 
or their or their council of five or whatever the hell is their you know their governing body and saying I don't want to bank with the Federal Reserve. I want to continue banking with you. Maybe that would do something because I guarantee you those are the assholes that go to lunch with the senator and the guy from the House of Representatives or the you know the chick from the Senate Banking Committee. Those are the people that go to lunch unless it's a really small bank. But, you know, you call up getting into the larger, you know, larger goons, if you're somebody that can get, you know, can hang off of the ear of one of these guys at Bank of America or Citibank or Wells Fargo, or even, even the smaller commercial banks that you wouldn't think would be there, then maybe we should do that. Maybe those are the people we should call because calling your Senator and rep at the United States, you know, at the federal government level pretty much doesn't do anything. You get to talk to a slack jawed yokel who's an intern. That, that's who you get to talk to. You'll never talk to the actual senator. That's reserved for your state senators and your state representatives and your city council and count, a county council type stuff. Those guys will talk to you. And maybe we should be talking to them more and stop talking to Ted Cruz. He's never going to answer the phone. But leave you with this. If the ABA is against the Federal Reserve, then I am on the side of the American Banking Association. And that's that. Now, Coindesk. Genesis client letter suggests no imminent solution to the withdrawal fee. (laughs) Freeze. Nice. In a letter to customers on Wednesday morning, Genesis interim CEO Darar Islim said, Resolution of his company's lending unit's withdrawal freeze is likely to be a matter of weeks rather than days. The lending arm of Genesis in November was forced to suspend redemptions following the collapse of crypto exchange FTX. Genesis since has been attempting to raise capital and or reach a deal with creditors. The brokerage also hired investment bank Muelis and Company to explore options, including a potential bankruptcy, leading to speculation that some sort of resolution might soon be at hand. This morning's note from Islam said that Genesis is committed to being as transparent as possible, blah, 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 with customers, and that it is working in consultation with highly experienced advisors and in close collaboration with its owner, Digital Currency Group. That's what we call suit speak, by the way. Islam also noted that all other Genesis operations, namely trading and custody services, remain fully operational. Of course, they're going to custody your shit. They're going to need it when they go bankrupt because you're the last on the list to be a creditor. If you've got shit with Genesis, get it off. Get it off. Get it off, get it off, get it off, get it off. Genesis is probably going to go down. I, I, I mean, the Winklevi, I can't believe that they allowed themselves to get into this much hot water, but they have. And they're probably so exposed to FTX and God forbid Terra Luna, even though that thing, that ship sank, is still making waves. And it looks like Genesis is probably going to go down. So if you have anything at all to do with Genesis trading, if you have any kind of custody whatsoever with them, end it today. Call them up, figure out, get on their website, get your shit back get all of your shit back, if at all possible, because there is a withdrawal freeze, right? That's what this whole story is about. So hopefully you didn't got anything on there. And if you do, at your earliest convenience, get it off if you can. By the way, DCG, which is also connected with uh, Genesis, is a parent company of Coindesk. So at least it's good that Coindesk is reporting 
on the fact that DCG is probably also in hot water along with Genesis. And speaking of, another member of this group, this cadre of people that are not doing well because of FTX, Grayscale is now facing a lawsuit as GBTC plunges to record low 43% discount. Andrew Asmakov has it for Decrypt.co. New York-based hedge fund Fur Tree Capital Management has filed a lawsuit against digital asset manager Grayscale Investments over, quote, potential mismanagement and conflicts of interest at the firm's flagship Bitcoin fund, according to a Bloomberg report. The news came as Grayscale Bitcoin Trust discount plunged to a record low discount of more than 43% from the underlying Bitcoin value on Tuesday, with Firtree alleging that this is partly the result of Grayscale issuing an immense number between 2018 and 2021 without providing investors means of exiting their positions aside from selling shares to other investors. I'm, I'm going to pause right there for just a second. Hold on. Man, my phone is blowing up today and it's pissing me off. Sorry about the interruption. What I was going to say is that... This, this whole thing about the without providing investors a means of exiting their positions aside from selling shares to other investors, you knew that. That was terms of service. Now, I'm not, I'm not defending Barry Silbert and Grayscale and GBTC. I don't have any skin in that game. However, it's well known and has been well known from the date of its inception that once you put your money into GBTC, you cannot custody the Bitcoin that it represents, nor can you get that money out without selling it to another investor. That was known. That is a terms of service issue. So I don't think this lawsuit is gonna go anywhere, but let's just continue on. GBTC is a financial vehicle that lets investors gain exposure to to, to Bitcoin without needing to buy and hold the asset physically, which is always a bad move. The Bitcoin backing GBTC is custody by crypto exchange Coinbase. Historically, GBTC has traded at a lofty premium, but things changed in February of last year with the trust shares gradually declining to a 40% discount last month. According to Firtree, Grayscale's redemption bar, which was introduced in 2014, is self-imposed. The hedge fund also alleges there's no legal reason to stop GBTC investors from converting their positions into fiat as long as the trust complies with securities laws. Yeah, you just want it to work in your favor, pal. In its complaint, Firtree, which manages $3 billion, said that around 850,000 retail investors had been harmed by Grayscale's shareholder unfriendly actions. The complaint filed in a Delaware Chancery Court on Tuesday is a books and records action, meaning it demands documents that could be used to push Grayscale to erase the discount by lowering the annual 2% management fee and resuming redemptions. Decrypt reached out to both Firtree and Grayscale for additional comments, but you know, I I guess they haven't given any yet. Um, Firtree, also looks to stop Grayscale from converting GBTC into a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund. This is interesting. 
something that Connecticut-based company was actively seeking to achieve since last year. Quote, that strategy will likely cost years of litigation, millions of dollars in legal fees, countless hours of lost management time, and goodwill with regulators. All the while, Grayscale will continue to collect fees from the trust's dwindling assets, Fir Tree's lawyer said in a complaint. Grayscale, however, insists the firm is not going to give up on those plans. Quote, we remain 100% committed to converting GBTC to an ETF as we strongly believe this is the best long-term product structure for GBTC and its shareholders, a Grayscale spokesperson told Bloomberg in an emailed statement. All attempts to launch a Bitcoin ETF in the United States have been blocked by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which repeatedly denied or postponed any applications received, including Grayscale's. Unimpressed with the agency's stance on the matter, Grayscale sued the SEC in June. Additionally, Grayscale hired legal counsel, including Donald Varelli Jr., former Solicitor General of the United States, and law firm Davis Polk and Wardwell to support the firm's ongoing campaign to convert its Bitcoin fund into an SEC-approved ETF. So there's two points to this lawsuit. They don't want a, a Grayscale to convert to a Bitcoin ETF. And they're telling, basically telling them that their terms of service, which everybody fucking agreed to when they signed up for this stupid ass thing, is somehow or another not, doesn't apply to them. I'm sorry, it does apply to you if you accepted the terms and services of the GBTC Grayscale Bitcoin Trust product then you are bound by the terms of service. And you can't just come in later and say, oh, by the way, we didn't know, or you changed something in 2014. Well, did you buy before 2014? If you did, then you might have a snowball's chance in hell of winning this. But essentially all you're doing is sucking money out of grayscale yourself to pay your lawyers. Okay, so this is, I, I'm not exactly sure whose bright idea this was, but this was not the time to bring a lawsuit against Grayscale. Not that Grayscale is going to crush them or anything like that. I don't know. They could possibly potentially lose this thing. But really? Really? You wanted to do that here? Because this is not the time to be doing that shit. But I digress, not, not a lawyer. Maybe it is the best time to do it because it's like at 43% discount, maybe the numbers are become so really ugly that even a judge might puke over his desk. I don't, I don't know. I honestly kind of don't care except for the fact that this doesn't do the space, any of the spaces, any good at all. And that includes legacy financial shit for various reasons. Moving on, GOP Congressman Cawthorn is fined for promoting Let's Go Brandon cryptocurrency. <laughs> I love it. Crypto or Decrypt.co has it. Uh, who's writing it? Uh, Sajith Samraj is writing this one. The United States House Committee on Ethics slapped Republican Representative Madison Cawthorn with a $15,237 fine for violating rules protecting against conflicts of interest by promoting a cryptocurrency of which he was invested in. The cryptocurrency he promoted is a less known anti-Joe Biden meme coin called Let's Go Brandon or LGB. The term Let's Go Brandon is a coded explicative to insult President Joe Biden. Oh, poor Joe. 
According to a House committee's report, after a seven-month-long investigation, uh, the, the investigatory subcommittee found substantial evidence that Rep. Cawthorn promoted a cryptocurrency in which he had a financial interest. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that. The report also pointed out that he did not disclose either his purchase or sale of his LGB coins until the House committee investigated the matter. The United States House of Representatives require reps to file timely reports on transactions related to crypto under the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act, also known as the Stock Act, which Cawthorn violated. Per the report, the rep made direct comments about purchasing or supporting the coin. The House committee ruled out that he made such a promotion for personal profit. Quote, as a member of the House, Rep. Cawthorn must protect the integrity of that institution, like there's any left, and his participation in promotional efforts for the cryptocurrency he owned was inconsistent with that duty, read the report. Of the total $15,237 fine, $14,237 of it should be paid to an appropriate charitable organization before December 31st, 2022, and the rest to the United States Department of Treasury for violating the Stock Act. Per the report, Cawthorn gave a $150,000 check to an undisclosed individual affiliated with LGB coin on December the 20th to purchase 180 billion LGB coins. <laughs> what a dumbass. On December the 21st, 2021, he received 180 billion LGB coins to his Coinbase wallet from an unidentified source. Quote, he bought LGB coin to connect with his generation, poke fun at a political opponent, opponent, and address the government's control of currency, says the report. When he received the tokens, his investment had risen by $14,237.49 to $160,237.49. A week after his purchase on December the 30th, 2021, LGB Coin announced sponsoring NASCAR driver Brandon Brown for the 2022 season. However, on January the 4th, 2022, NASCAR withdrew its approval and the representative exited his position in three, fran uh, three, in three tranches of LGB Coin since then. Oh, dude, really? Are you this stupid? You know, it's like, and I'm not a blue versus red guy. I'm not like a red guy. I'm not a blue guy. This is just stupid. You, I, how do you, how, 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 how are you thinking that this is in any way, shape, form, fashion, not going to land you in hot water? My God almighty. He might actually lose his seat for this kind of shit. Not sure if they carry it forward. The fine seems like a slap on the wrist. But I don't know if any other action might be taken because honestly, that's a gross violation of ethics. Even though I think the Congress should be smited by a meteorite from the hand of God, I still think that as long as it's functional, there is an ethical code that you should at least pretend to abide by. And he clearly stepped over the bounds and he's, he's going to get slapped for it. I'm just saying, toppy you commissioner. The top EU commissioner says some crypto advocates favored a dangerous anti-regulatory path. Alice Key, Decrypt.co. The policymaker overseeing the European Union's introduction of new rules on the crypto industry has said that those opposed to regulation are on a dangerous path. 
as lawmakers prepare to vote on Europe's landmark market in crypto assets or the MICA regulation next year. European Commissioner for Financial Services Myreed McGinnis said that the impending rules were already having an effect. But she added that while some companies want to be regulated and are ready and already acting in compliance with the coming directive, others oppose the idea. Oh, so upsetting, quote. Some of those who were involved in crypto from the very outset were doing it because they didn't want to be part of the regulated managed system. They want it to be separate from and in parallel to. That's a very dangerous path, she told CNBC. Oh, for God's sakes goddamn wimps. It comes as the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX piles pressure on regulators around the world to show that they are protecting consumers. Alluding to the FTX meltdown, McGinnis said, quote, we have seen events, let me put it like that, in this crypto space, which maybe is a wake-up call for those who thought that investment would only increase in value, end quote. McGinnis has been a staunch advocate of making cryptocurrency regulation uniform across both the European bloc as well as beyond. In recent months, she has led efforts to share the EU's experience regarding MICA Act with U.S. officials and to discuss the possibility of a joined-up approach, of course. Earlier this year, she called for a global effort to regulate crypto in an op-ed for D.C. publication The Hill. In a CNBC interview, McGinnis said of the talks with her American counterparts, quote, what I found in the U.S. is huge interest in what we are doing here and the markets and crypto asset regulation. And I believe there will be developments there. Well, you know, at one point or another, the Second Amendment's going to have to, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. This is ridiculous. How dare a fucking idiot from the EU come over here and try to regulate my life through taking my senators and representatives out to lunch? Yeah, straight up, how fucking dare you? You know, we killed every British soldier that we could fucking find on this land to get you out of our lives. And here you are again. Are we going to have to have another revolutionary war? Are we going to have to do it again? You know, and, and, and just like the American Revolutionary War, you know what we're not going to do if it happens? We're not going to stand in a line and fight the gentleman's war just like we didn't during the American Revolutionary War in the seven, late 1700s. We're going to hide behind trees and shoot you at a fucking distance. That's what we're going to do, except the bullets may be monetary bullets or idealistic bullets or our ability to gain the trust of our fellow citizenry a hell of a lot more than you can because you've lost all the trust. You represent institutions that haven't had a decent amount of trust in 20 years. Your media mouthpiece has completely collapsed. Fox News, CNBC, uh, MSNBC, all the rest of them, all the rest of them, the newspapers, the magazines, they've all lost credibility across the board in almost every Western nation that there is. There's no credibility to your mouthpiece anymore. There's no credibility to your institutions anymore. I have a low listenership. I have better credibility than any one of you guys. 
guaranteed, and I'll prove it if you so ask. I don't go around lying. I don't go around changing the rules on people. I don't go around taking property. But y'all do. And because of it, over the last 20 years, you've lost an immense amount of trust. I wouldn't give your ideas a hope in hell of catching any kind of fire except in Washington, D.C. And I am squarely looking in the face of several counties in Oregon and western or eastern Washington that want to join with who? Idaho to, to create the greater Idaho state. The fact that I, you can laugh and say, well, it's never going to happen. Well, I'm not sure if that's actually a correct statement at this point. The fact that it's even happening at all is evidence, direct and insightful evidence of the erosion that Washington, D.C. has caused between two groups of people, one that want to be told what to do and the other people that don't want to be told what to do. That they want, that they want people to trust them that they're not going to steal their shit, that they're not going to just kill them indiscriminately, that they're going to actually help do the stuff that makes civilization yearn for more. Well, the people that want to be told what to do and how to live and when they can wear a mask and what boosters they can get, they're, they're uninterested. And most of them live in the largest cities whatsoever. And that's the trap, ladies and gentlemen, is not being able to escape a large city because you are so tied to it like the matrix that you will fight tooth and nail to defend it. And therefore, rural counties and communities by and large are starting to rethink how they can get what it is that they want. And a lot of times that's, they just want their counties to start being in, in, enveloped into another state that is more aligned with their area of the, of the world. Because consequently, we've allowed countries to become too big, entirely too large to be governed at a nation state level. I've said it before. There is a reason there is no such thing as a prehistoric insect that is, quote unquote, a giant insect. When I was a kid, there were books that had depictions of giant insects, you know, as big as, I don't know, let's say uh, a hippopotamus. It's impossible. Why? Because insects, if they are actually insects, do not have a respiratory system. They have no lungs, no lungs whatsoever. Yes, they have fluid and that fluid helps carry oxygen around, but that oxygen does not get into that fluid through lung tissue. It's absorbed through the skin and the shell and any hard armor that the insect may have, depending on what kind of insect you're talking about. It's osmosis. That's how they get their oxygen. And if you have, if you get too much volume and too little surface area, which is what happens when you expand a sphere, you pass a point of, re of no return where there's just not enough oxygen that can be absorbed by the surface area that represents the kind of volume that surface area contains. And the same thing is true with large corporations, larger businesses, all the way up to cities and states, and of course, nation states. These things have become too big. 
You cannot govern out of Washington, D.C. what somebody in a rural county of eastern Washington is actually going to do. And it's getting worse. And it's going to continue to get worse. And as the elite of the world and the governmental bodies glom on together and refuse to interact with their constituency more and more, and they've been doing that over the last 50 years, then more and more of the citizenry will glom onto each other, which is what we've been doing for the past 50 years, and forming tighter and tighter groups. I think that well within my lifetime, we're going to see the fracturing of several large countries. I don't think the European Union lasts 10 years from now. I'm not certain that the United States of America lasts, at least with its present state borders, the way that it looks right now in 10 years. Get ready for change and change that you may absolutely hate to think about happening, but you're going to have to figure out how to live inside of it. And those changes, generally speaking, represent the most opportunity you will ever have to do any of the things that you've ever wanted. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. All right, no joke today. We are running long and I got some other stuff to do. Uh, do want to uh, remind you that if you if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. I use Fountain App. I got Boostagrams, I think. Uh, let me see here. Let me uh, make sure, because I was supposed to have, I was supposed to have that up and I didn't like a dumbass. Come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. Got to get to mine. I'm using Fountain App right now to get to my Boostagrams. Let's see, are there any? Yeah, there are. Van Man Jr. says, with 10,000 Satoshis, probably ought to check out charities that FTX don't... Oh, wait a minute. Hold on here. Now, those are last... Good Lord, y'all. I got a... I, I, I didn't reset my app, and it didn't pick up my latest, which is from yesterday, episode 650. Bubba, 20,333 sat, says, don't trust Verify. What if El Presidente in El Salvador is a bad actor? Lots of hope and trust in a mere mortal and a politician there. What happens at next election? Just my two sats. Don't lose sight. Keep your eye on your ethos, people. I agree. Pitar. Hey, Pitar, you're back, bro, with the striper boost. Uh, letter 6173 is my favorite podfluencer on podcasting 2.0. I uh, got one pleb call, uh, uh, saying good stuff about another. I love that shit. Speaking of letter 6173, he's up with a striper boost. Watching first colored coins, then ICOs, and now shit coins all implode while minting new maximalists is always the best part of bear markets. Yeah, yeah, it was ICOs and then they went belly up in like 27, after 2017 uh, and we went into that bear market. We come out of that bear market, go into another bull market. And all of a sudden we've got altcoins and shit coins of all kind. And then we add on top of that, the whole DeFi debacle with SushiSwap, which is probably going to go down the damn tubes here in the next day or two. And all of a sudden they're all burning. They're all on fire. And Bitcoin is still 4.7 X up from the bottom of the bear market in uh, 2017. It's a good point. That's a good point. Hot potato head. Uh, one, two, three, four sat says, 
Thanks to your show and learning more, I have finally rid myself of shit coins. Feels good. Yeah, it does feel good. It felt good when I found, when I got rid of Ethereum. I had it. Yes, I did. I bought it. And I traded Bitcoin for it too. When I sold it, I traded it back for, for more Bitcoin. And even though if I were to actually run the, what looked like I was like, oh man, I'm actually making a profit. I didn't. I lost, I didn't have as much Bitcoin coming back out of that trade as I did going in. That's what it cost me. It cost me some Bitcoin. And that was out of 2015. Uh, last one, Bit Happens 1331, 108. Your quantum moment was great. You wear it well. And what sciences do you speak? Oh, uh, by the uh, cell and molecular biology, chemistry, uh, organic chemistry, which is part of chemistry, but there's, there's eh, it's, organic chemistry is more about nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon, of course. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Oh, bioinformatics. Um, let's see, what else is in there? There's something else in there. Uh, geology, well, uh, geographical information systems. Uh, I really dig geographical information systems because it's just, I, I, I like maps. That's, you show me, I mean, you want to like stop me talking in mid-sentence, show me a topographical map. I don't care what it is of or where it is. If you literally unroll a topo map in front of me, I'll probably stop talking. I don't know what it is about topo maps, but I love them. Anyway, he says, uh, not so misread, only in this context, the dollar seems one plausible response. A preeminent shitcoin of sorts outside our continuum Maybe the DeFi scams of the 20s and 30s as well. Limitless implications. Wow, indeed. Satoshi would have needed to overcome if true. Also, do you imagine ghosts could custody and use private keys? That's a good question. Break for now. I'm broke and for sat's sake, if only to enrich the few, the bit, the community, pass ideas on. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's an interesting notion. Can ghost custody private keys? Because, I mean, think about it from this standpoint. Well, they can't hold on to a ledger, but that's not where private keys are generated from now, is it? It's not. Private keys aren't generated from anything physical. Think about that. They're not. It's math. And math is not physical. It has physical implications. Yes, sir, Bob. You go 60 miles, train. you're on a train 60 miles an hour, uh, going from Boston to LA and you collide head on with the trains going 60 miles an hour from LA to Boston, you're dead. That's the answer. And it's math and it's physical. But the notions of the numbers, the generation of private keys, where exactly does that occur? Because you can say, well, dumbass, it, it occurs on the processor inside of the ledger or the cold card. Well, yeah, but I could easily... I could easily generate that with a piece of paper and a pencil. And that is just helping my mind keep track of the calculations as I go through the calculations to generate the private key of which I can generate public keys and XPubs and all kinds of shit from, right? Where, where does that exist? Where, where, where were the private keys generated? And you'll say, well, you dumbass in your neurons. Yeah, I think we're missing the point. I think we're missing the point. Math exists whether you're alive to harness it with your neurons or CPU or not. Math, the, 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 how to build private keys and manufacture them 
relies on nothing physical whatsoever. Other than, yeah, I guess you need a human to write them down, but, but the calculation doesn't exist in just that human. It exists somewhere else. It's like Plato's ideal chair or the idea of a chair comes from Plato's idea, what's called Plato's ideal forms, right? All chairs have the ability to sit on the floor and hold somebody up off the floor at a certain distance in relative comfort for a period of time. And that chairness, those, those qualities of being a chair come from somewhere and Plato used to suggest it was from an ideal form of chair that exists somewhere. There's a, it's not like we go to a vault, right? And pull out a chair, the ideal chair and make measurements from it so that we can interpret that into a nouveau riche chair. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the idea of the chair exists somewhere that we are not and that we somehow access that idea and then we build it we build it into physicality as we access that idea and lay our hands upon it same thing with private keys i think a ghost and a specter could in fact hold their own private keys that they generate without ever having to get back into human form or some kind of intelligentsia form that we would be able to negotiate with i think that they could stay out in the ether generate their private keys hold their private keys and somehow haunt some poor son of a bitch into giving over some Bitcoin to those private keys. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.